Welcome to Simply Sales and Marketing. Today we have another very special guest. So I uh, listened to him on Scott Ingram's Sales Success Podcast. He spoke at the Sales Success Summit on October 10 in Austin. And he's a lover of Germany and particularly medieval German. And he's also a master at complex selling. So can you guess who he is? Today we have on our show, Dustin Brown, Global Strategic Account Executive from Outreach. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, hey Charlotte, thanks for uh, having me. I feel like we've uh, we've spoken enough to be very familiar and know each other very well, but yeah, you're right. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to, to meet yet. Looking forward to the day, though. Looking forward to the day. I know. It's a power of online, isn't it? Because we've connected through, well, through the podcast and then through LinkedIn, and your episode really fascinated me because... I moved two years ago into a more sort of complex sale. Um, Before that, I was in a transactional sale. And I'd really love sort of for you to talk us and the audience through sort of, you know, complex selling. So just walk us through a deal cycle, a typical deal cycle for you, because you've been doing this for a long time. And also how would the marketing, since we're about sales and marketing, how would the marketing team sort of help you when you're working on a, a, a complex deal Absolutely. You know, one of the things I'd like to do, though, if it's all right with you, Charlotte, is just kind of align on a definition of, of what a complex sale is. And, and yeah. by doing so, it also, you know, open up, you know, a little bit more about what I'm personally focusing on versus maybe some of your um, some of your listeners and, and, and other folks uh, in, in your podcast ecosystem. Um, would that be OK with you if we just kind of align on a definition of what a complex sale is? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. So from, from at Outreach, um, in most of my career, I've been dealing with the, the Fortune 500, the Fortune 100 to the Fortune 10. So dealing with very, 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 very large organizations. And they typically are selling to either the, an end customer or, you know, selling to other businesses or a B2B to C um, type, type organization. So they're usually large organizations that are within that Fortune 500. So that's typically where you're going to start seeing, you know, really complex sales. Um, and then obviously, you know, you go to cities, governments, and it just, it just you know, gets bigger from there. And typically in a complex sale, um, you, you're going to find yourself um, selling a, a platform or, or a group of modules or widgets, if you will, that, you know, help many different parts of the organization as a whole versus just one tiny group within a tiny um, group within that. So we're, we're focusing on more like large platforms, which is, which is my, my experience. And I typically, you know, what I would define as a complex sale is, is anywhere between nine to 24 months. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer, right? Um, I would even say in this, in this new, you know, market or this new climate that we're going to find ourselves in for, for, for quite a while, uh, hopefully, you know, not forever, but certainly for a time, um, I would say that those, those time cycles are going to be a little longer, um, so just be prepared for, for, for longer sales cycles. And, um, yeah. you know, typically a complex sale, it, you're going to be, you know, charging somebody up in that, you know, upper six, seven, eight, nine figures, um, or, or low mid to mid hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, typically to 50 to 60 to a hundred, that's usually within a group's budget that, you know, a director or senior director can, can make, can make on their own, even though maybe some other folks may be involved. Typically, they have that that, that type of um, purchasing authority, um, and and complex sales, you know, are very resource heavy. It's you know not just one demo or two demos, and then there's a deal or hey, have my VP call their VP. Um, it's t- 
tons of time from your executives. They're also playing a critical role in these sales cycles. Um, they're selling to their peers. You're, you're doing RFPs. Um, you're doing you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 and up you know, type of demos. I mean, just lots and lots of demos. You know, proof of concepts, you know, sales cycles within sales cycles. Um, yeah. Long, long legal processes, right? And then basically, if you were to t- tally it up, you're dealing with probably, you know, 40 to 50 to 100 uh, of meetings that are that have gone on over the last nine to 24 months um, before, you know, the deal can, can be signed. And, you know, Andy Paul made a comment. I'm not sure if you're, if you or your viewers are familiar with Andy Paul, really good thinker in the sales yeah. Uh, space. Yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. He, he, he gave out a stat that I, I totally agree with. For every person you deal with in a company, there's probably going to be one to two more in the background that you're not seeing or you're not dealing with. Yeah. So you, you could be a very, very quickly to 10 to 20 stakeholders in, in, a, in a deal cycle. One of my deal cycles and probably the deal cycle that I'll kind of um, talk about, it, you know, we had close to 90 stakeholders. Uh, we we're probably dealing with 50 cool. on a weekly basis. Um so it, it can get up there very, very quickly. I, I would say to kind of check yourself, if you're not talking to 10 plus people, um, you probably don't have a deal um, or you're, at, you're you have a huge risk of not seeing what's going on behind the scenes and how they're engaging with their competitor, who your detractors are, who your other champions are. You're not going to have insight into anything. And so you're really relying on one person who may not have any authority or any ability to get it done. So I would check your uh, check yourself by by seeing how many people are you truly dealing with in a deal cycle so that's for me a definition of a complex sale love to you know talk through that to see if you align with that or or if i'm you know way off there yeah no absolutely and you say like 90 stakeholders 9 to 24 months i can i i'm a mid-market to enterprise seller so typically you know i sell to governments to locations so when you were talking about rfps and all about those and tenders and and legal processes um and it can be yeah it, it i i also agree that since you know the, the, well, the last six months with the changes the economy the uncertainty we are seeing you know i'm seeing it other salespeople coming to me and saying that they're seeing that you know deal cycles are pushing out a lot longer um you know, the, the, due to this uncertainty. Oh, man, that's complex. Just enough. No, I was just say, government yes. selling. My hat, hats off to you. Um, like no matter <laughs> the size, that's already complex. Like I don't even. I, I personally don't want that complexity in my life. So hats off. How do you deal with ninety stakeholders' interests and kind of making they're all aligned to the right solution? That's that's that is complex. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so, really, a lot of this is you know. Uh, as a seller, you've got to be organized and you've got to have a system of understanding, okay, you know, what is my account plan and understanding what is my point of view and what are we trying to do? What problem are they trying to solve? And truly really trying to align around that. And then as you deal with these stakeholders, making sure that they're all aware of, hey, this is the problem that we're trying to solve here. So let's make sure that we're staying focused on here's the problem and here's the outcome we're trying to provide. Yeah. And making sure that one for a lot of them that it still aligns to what they're trying to accomplish, because you got to imagine these large organizations typically doing the right thing um, gets people fired, and so a lot of this is is how do I how do we re- reduce risk while also delivering positive outcomes, which is you know what we do is deliver more revenue per seller and, and to the organization. That may not be what they're trying to do, and other people may not be incentivized to do that. So it's really just getting them aligned to the big goal. But then mm-hmm. understanding what's in it for them and documenting that and constantly yeah. be checking yourself on that. 
Yeah, the thing is, with a complex deal like that, there's so many stakeholders involved. So there's so many different problems that you, you have to align your solution outreach to those different problems, which, you know, is, is complex in itself. Yeah, yep. it's adding the simple into the complicated, if you can. Um, yeah. I was going yeah, to say, Dustin, I hope you don't mind. Can we rewind a bit? Maybe not as far as medieval Germany. But one question we do <laughs> like to ask, and you can answer this in German if you want. Uh, that would be very impressive. Um, but going back to the start of your career. Now, we're talking right about complex selling. Uh, we talk a lot about data. Um, and I want to jump right back to the beginning. If there's one thing that you could teach younger Dustin from the start, or one thing you would have loved to have known, what would it be? Yeah, great, great question. So I started off my career as as an as an SDR BDR. Um, before then, I was you know selling to mom and pop local stores. You know, internet optimization, very very basic type sales. But I, I noticed something that you know selling technology, or if I really want to make money, I've got to go to the big leagues, like you know, getting government selling, selling big industrial projects. That's where you're going to go make the money. And for me, I saw SaaS as being that space uh, for me. So I had to take a step back in my career and go and start to learn and understand um, SaaS technology and, and how it's better for businesses and be able to understand a lot of the uh, vernacular. Started off as, as an SDR BDR and you know worked my, my way up the chain. I was a little, little I, I wish I didn't rush myself as much through that process. Um, and I wish I didn't switch focuses as much, meaning I went from selling complex customer call center technology um, with, with Oracle, Oracle right now acquisition, to then selling marketing technology with Salesforce and, and an Oracle, and then back to call center and then back to sales technology. Um, I feel like I could probably be a lot more authoritative if I just kind of picked the direction and, and the type of solutions I wanted to go after, meaning stay in call center or stay in marketing or stay in the sales tech. Um, that way I, I could just have a lot more uh, industry knowledge um, to share insights with with my customers um, now i've been doing this long enough um, and i've kind of been all sides and i think all sides are now trying to figure out how do they come together so i think having that background is now being helpful but somebody starting out in their career start out as a bdr and try to stay within the the market that you're that you're starting off on um, i hope that made sense yeah it's kind of um don't run before you can walk you know take your time learn your surroundings and then kind of apply really yeah, and if you're gonna, and if you're doing well, like let's say you start selling marketing technology, my advice would be to, to try to really stay in that in that lane as long as you can. Hmm. Um, That's what I say. So <laughs> yeah, so you can continue um, to really, really become a very authoritative voice um, to your to your uh, prospects and customers. And with over twelve thousand solutions, you can't really just say you've learned it all. There's a, it's always growing. It's constantly growing, isn't it? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. And since we talk about obviously sales and marketing, Dustin, what do you think, you know, how do you think sales and marketing could be better aligned? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I have, obviously I'm a, I'm a seller. I obviously have opinions. I think marketing does, does a tremendous job. I think having technologies that bridge the gap. So marketing really knows what sellers are having to go through and how the messaging that marketing is putting out there is kind of being how it is resonating through the market. For example, hey, we may have a really great tagline, but a tagline may not mean anything in, in the market or it may mean something to that one part of the market, but not to the greater part of the market. And so be willing to take feedback also, you know, and look at the technology like, hey, the customer came in via this type of 
you know, a marketing campaign. But did that customer, was that what the customer really decided to buy on? Or was that just enough to get the conversation going? Both could be right, by the way. Um, but just trying to really align and understand how their messaging is, is resonating out in the market. But then also sales being able to help provide feedback to like, hey, this is how we close the deal. This is the, the, the terminology that we heard throughout the sales cycle um, to give that information back to marketing. So they now know what's and how your solution is being discussed in the marketplace. Um, yep. So constant communication, but having extreme visibility, closing that feedback loop from when sales or from when marketing passes that information to, to sales and then, and then back to marketing, um, I think would be a great way to, to help. But, but the good news is everybody's trying their best and everybody really wants everybody to win. So I mean, you, you have a really good opportunity to start from there. Yeah, I was going to say one thing. I saw your hashtags of revenue operations as well, which I love to see because it really is looking at all the different functions rather than just sales and marketing. It's kind of looking at the customer success. It's looking at the financial side of things and making it one experience. Do you, do you see that becoming a larger and larger part of businesses? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for example, a lot of you know salespeople are super busy. They're trying to go out and, and, and work the leads. They're trying to go, go out and close their deals. They don't have time to look at technology. They don't have the time to, to try to figure out how can I do this more efficiently or, or better. I mean, in some sales people understand that intuitively, but that's not their responsibility. So it's been really great to see how sales operations, revenue operations, enablement are beginning to take and have more ownership in you know pipeline generation or in cre- helping to create more demand, create more pipeline, but then also to find ways to help their sellers close more of that pipeline because now, especially in this market, it's not about pipeline growth. It's, it's more about closing the pipeline and making sure that every deal you get into counts. And, and so having all of these functions around to support the seller and becoming smarter and better, um, I think is, is a huge win. Um, and then on top of that though, getting the data back to the company to then optimize and make sure that the marketing team understands what they need to be doing, understand how the product um, team needs to be you know, working on things as well as how do I Again, continue to help sellers be more effective and efficient in their in their day to days, which is, by the way, a win for the company and a win for the mm. sellers. Because I certainly want to be more efficient with my time and not, you know, in spreadsheets for five days when I could be out there selling. Don't yeah. talk to me about it, Dustin. I'm still in the spreadsheet and I'm trying to get a couple of sales tech tools. And and you say sort of just because my plumber has car parts doesn't mean they're best to work on my car. And the same thing is true with your sales stack. So you say here, relying on the same technology that's now 20 years old is not the technology that's going to support a modern sales organization. Bingo, they've had their opportunity to help the seller. They didn't. Now they've all become systems of of record, which is, again, it's fine. You you can't turn something, you can't turn, uh, you know, a Honda Accord into a Tesla. Um, And and you, (laughs) you, you, you you need the right tools for the job. Yeah. yeah, you do. And it's something that I think is take, being taken more seriously now, the rev ops, uh, sales ops, sales enablement, because if the seller can't really understand and analyze what they're doing and know sort of how to improve and change their, their input, then this, is gonna, this has an impact on the organization. You know, there's, there's blind spots, effectively, if you're not using the right sales technology, then, yeah. you know, you're not going to be you're not going to exist tomorrow. You're not going to have a business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like if your competition is able to get bigger, stronger, faster, and you're out there still trying to hammer away with through a phone book because that's how you, that's how, you know, the, the sales leader had to do coming up, then yeah, you're going to become obsolete. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree more revenue ops focus, you know, the alignment of the functions 100%. I couldn't agree more. Now flipping it completely upside down, Dustin, if you were to have a magic wand and you could wipe out anything in sales or marketing today, if you had the choice and the power, what would it be? That's a really good question, Sam. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm one of those sellers that really focuses on the glass is half full and focus on what I can control. I, I need to get better at my craft. I need to become a better advocate for my customers. Those are the areas that I focus on. And so I, I don't know what I would what I would take away. I certainly would, would, would encourage companies to continue to drink their own champagne and find ways where they can continue to get more efficient and reduce um, redundancies um, like you know ineffective meetings or, or continue to use this, the same messaging that doesn't that worked you know when when the economy was you know different um, but I don't I don't think there's any one thing that I would just say hey we should just get away with it get you know take away because I work at a great company like outreach where it's things are really good and things yeah. are really organized and, and much more efficient than in other places. So uh, that's a really good question to ask, though. Really what question. about what about the bureaucracy and politics of signing off sales tech? Would that would you want that to go? Of course. I mean, <laughs> I mean that that's the most self serving thing that I could, that I could ask for. No, I, I, absolutely. I, I think I, I think I think I would I, if I could change anything would be helping to open up more minds on hey, quit doubling down on the tech that you've been spending you know millions and millions on, and you still can't tie any back any ROI and it still hasn't made your organization um, any better from a revenue perspective. Yeah, that inertia. What exactly. got you there isn't going to get you there. Yeah, definitely up for more open minds. And now, Dustin, we've come on like to well the end of our show and there's so much more that we could talk about and dive into. So we're probably going to have to do a part two. Can you give us one tip that our audience can take away and action straight away? Yes. Absolutely. And we may need a session on how to develop this, but develop a point of view and a hypothesis for everybody that you talk to and to go validate that because what you may think their big problem is may not be their big problem. It may not be their top three initiatives. Well, it is a big problem. Um, don't try to invent problems. Try to find problems that already exist and that they're already trying to, they're already funding to fix. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I think a lot of sellers certainly in Europe, probably don't do that enough. Focus on the point of view, the hypothesis. I still see a lot of needs and benefits pitching rather than sort of problem-solving pitching. So that's a really great tip. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of people. So I'm a big subscriber to Jamal Reimer. Um, and, yeah, you know, one of, my, what, one of my mentors, Chris Albro, right? You know, they both talk about skiing down the hill, the needs benefits are going to be below the line. Start as high in the organization as you can. And it's a good thing if they push you down. But up there is where you're going to find the big problems and the big opportunities. And you're going to avoid a lot of feature function battles. Because if you can't tie it back to any big massive initiative, you're just going to be relegated to a feature function and to a commodity. Um, so those are some of the things that I would do to work to get out of you know those feature function and benefits which by the way are important but there's a reason like what are you tying them back to that your competition can't do that's where you start getting out of like the bits and byte conversation which no there's if you want the 10k deals focus on bits and bytes if you want you know the 100k million plus deals focus on the the above the line um, enterprise problems yeah 
couldn't agree more. I've got, I've got to say thank you so much, Dustin, for coming on the show. I think it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, I know we had a few laughs even before we started kicking off the recording. We did. Um, so I have to say, where, where can everyone find you? I know if they Google your name, they're going to find a famous tennis player. So that might be one area not to look at. But um, or, where, where or, can or find a you? soccer player from yeah. Germany? Puts it in on it. Yeah. Oh. Um, that, looks, that looks nothing like me. Um, yeah. He looks way better. I'm very jealous. I want his hair. Um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, always, yep. always happy to connect. Always happy to answer questions. Um, I'm pretty busy, so I'm slow to respond. But you know, I'd love to help anybody in any way I can. Certainly, love to give back because so much has been given to me. Amazing. Yeah, thanks, Dustin. And just going back to Andy Paul's "Sell Without Selling Out." It's a great book. I've read it. Yes. Um, yeah. So we talked about that before. So that might be a, a good book for um, some of our audience. And as ever. I, I always ask this um, and I'm going to ask again, leave us a review, give us a rating and we'll see you on the next show.